my name is Taylor Clement, head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And today's podcast is going to pick up where we left off last time. We discussed the Christian alternative to modern culture. This is a, a talk uh, that Dr. Michael Keller gave school heads this year through the uh, Council for Educational Standards and Accountability, or as we refer to, CESA. And what we discussed last week was his first assumption on culture and his identity and this being true to yourself and that fact that really when we love the idea of being true to yourself or you do you concept we understand that if we go off of any theology that we cannot be true to ourselves because often we don't know who we are um, we are fickle beings and, and fickle minds and this is a very fragile worldview and it can be easily manipulated and so that's kind of where we were uh, last week and we, we talked uh, some as well about the ways to engage and, and really show them, show students and show our children that these narratives exist. We of course want to ask what scripture says about it and of course we want to um, see what is good, what is confusing as well. So today though, Maria, we're going to talk about freedom and we're going to talk about happiness and we're going to get into these two things and freedom of course is a bit uh, front of mind uh, these days with the election ballots still being counted. Uh, Here we are on the Friday after the election. Um, The election's trending one way, but there's so much noise in the media. There's so many um, things that are out there, conspiracy theories. There's Uh, There's also the censoring with social media. There's um, a myriad of other things that are happening that are all contributing to even our frustration of what freedom should be. Mm -hmm. But I think if we strip that down out of the Americanism of it Mm -hmm. and we can just get down to the word freedom and that worldview of freedom, what that means. So let's start there. And how how does Michael Keller define freedom? Yeah, so his definition was, I do what I want as long as I don't hurt someone. Yeah. So I'm free to make any choice that I want to make until it harms someone. Isn't that called, like, sibling get-along time, (laughs) right? right. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt your sibling. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, that really gets down to this idol of, of independence and... I mean, this is a tough one for me because I am very, I mean, I love freedom, obviously. Um, I spent, when I was uh, in college, I spent a summer in um, in China um, sharing the gospel, and that was like a very vivid example of just how much my freedom as an American um meant to me and so so yeah this is a cultural narrative that I wrestle with for sure um so that that's kind of his idea I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't harm any anyone so everything is permissible as long as it doesn't harm someone and and to be fair um as we unpack this let, let's. This is not travel brag time, by the way. But I've I've been to Cuba. Yeah. Been to many nations, but I would say Cuba pre-opening was was maybe the most stark experience because the flight to Cuba is, you know, thirty minutes from Miami. I mean, it's it's incredibly yeah. short, um, and getting in and getting out and experiencing that nation, you know, and. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said freedom will eventually manifest itself. Mm-hmm. He's right. It mm-hmm. always does. 
Uh, we've seen that through the course of history, and we, we see that uh, even now through protests, through other things. But there's a difference between the word freedom mm -hmm. and the idea of being a part of, of a freedom-based process that we are in as Americans. Sure. So one of the reasons I bring up Cuba is, is I, I've been to a totalitarian state. It was terrible. Communism uh, should be abhorred in every sense of the word. It was, it was grotesque and sad and it's incredibly close geographically to us and it's a beautiful country. Um, but what we saw the freedoms that were manifesting there were evil and sad and it was disease ridden because of the evil nature. And I won't go into all of that. I'm happy to talk offline more of what I saw, especially as a guy who was, I think I was still in my twenties at the time and I didn't have kids yet. Yeah. And so I, I was able to explore a little bit more with some, some people in a very safe, um, accountable way, but we had to be incredibly careful because we didn't know what was, what was next because there is no trust in a system like that yeah. versus the, so I do think, and the reason why I bring all that up is to say there is the concept of political freedom mm -hmm. and then there's the concept of, of I would say, the psychological mm -hmm. and spiritual freedom that, that we want to pursue. Right. That type and of so thing. in this context, I think our, our political understanding of freedom does need to take uh, precedent but I don't think that needs to completely fill in the color of, of what we're talking about mm -hmm. because we're really talking about the psychological, moral, and spiritual freedom uh, under this. Mm -hmm. But let's go to this. Yeah. Why is it that if I live this motto of I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody, why is that a bad thing? Yeah. Well, I thought his, his point, and he kind of finished up his identity point talking about this, but... Um, ultimately, what this type of idol leads to um, is, is really the question of where do we understand and where do we get our moral grid, right? Mm. So he talks about um, that, you know, our moral, if our moral grid is coming from society, um, our culture has, has changed their morality, I mean, human nature has changed morality from the beginning of time right like what we think is moral now may not be moral in 20 years and it probably wasn't moral 20 years before us like morality shifts and changes so i think the the point that he makes here is that culture has a moral grid through which we look from right and that morality has changed throughout the course of history. Um, and so when we ask the question about, you know, can I, I can do it a, what I want as, as long as it doesn't harm someone, that is a moving target. That looked different 20 years ago than it does today and will probably look different in 20 years, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if we look to um, our culture to tell us about morality, that's going to be a shifting target. And that question has to come up when we talk about freedom, right? Um, because his point here is that, you know, freedom is no restrictions. Right. Right. The Ultimate absence of restraints. Is an absence of restraint. And anytime you get into that, you're asking the question about morality. Well, who gets to decide what restraint is? Right. And what viewpoint are they taking on, um, on restraint? You know, 
it's it's interesting. He even goes as far as to say, freedom, in the into the truest definition of the word, actually will breed intolerance. Yeah, exactly. Which is very ironic, but it does. Right, and it's and it's similar, you know. And this is this is not to to go um, into a political statement at all. But if you look at in a Nazi Germany or a Stalinistic era of of the Soviet Union, on the political spectrum, they are completely opposite mm-hmm. of of, mm-hmm. of their desired outcomes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They look incredibly similar, right? When put into action, they look incredibly similar, and all of a sudden the political spectrum becomes a political circle or mm-hmm. sphere, depending on your interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. And so looking at freedom, if it's going to breed intolerance, because you push that needle so far one way, you're going to end up back where you were before. But but. Keller goes on to say, freedom is not just the absence of restrictions. True freedom is the presence of proper boundaries. Because if you think about it, then, if we, if we were to truly believe that freedom is um, doing whatever I want as long as I don't harm anybody, um, it undermines, like he says, it undermines relationships. It right. undermines love because if I... I'm in a relationship with someone, I am bound to them in some ways, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm bound to be respectful. I'm bound to spend time with them. So right there, that in, in this viewpoint would be a restriction of my freedom, right? My kids bound me in some ways. Um, you know, I can't do whatever I want whenever I want. Um, you know, but, actually, even as you talk about that and you talk about relationships, um, parents, I, I always say that I identify as a baby boomer, and here's why. Because when you were talking about that, it reminded me of the show All in the Family with mm-hmm. Archie Bunker, mm-hmm. where his daughter, from this from the 1970s, his daughter was basically in a common-law marriage with, uh, played by Sally Struthers, with, um, oh my goodness, uh, Rob, uh, and I'm forgetting his last name, it'll come to me, uh, very famous director when Harry met Sally and Spinal Tap and all those, um, but... Zemeckis. No, not Zemeckis. Um, I'll find it. Anyways. But, uh, but the point being is, you know, here he was, this old stalwart, and he was, he was this curmudgeonly old Mm -hmm. man who was cantankerous to the nth degree because he couldn't stand his liberal daughter and liberal son-in-law because they weren't officially married. And yet, there's something to the institutions that we have, societally sure. speaking, that we want to uphold. And the reason why there is so much unrest today is because there is this pushing of boundaries. And sometimes that is a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. and we see mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And we see that Christ broke boundaries for us from the old law to the new law, and Scripture speaks to that. The other side, though, is our, it is within our nature to try to get as far away from Christ as possible to, to reject holiness even though we're made in the image of that creator and so there's a paradoxical yeah. place to be of saying how do, how do we deal with this tension because on one hand my heart my mm-hmm. fickle manipulative and man- easily manipulated heart is going to want to be free mm-hmm. what it's really asking is to be free within the boundaries that Christ has set up because that is for my good sure definitely yeah and so if you think about it um you know, a a horse. If you if you imagine imagine a horse there, and 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 the the fences that are around that horse. Rob Reiner, by the way. Yeah, the the uh, the horse is free to move within that fence. If he were to be free to move wherever he wanted in the world, 
that would not be good for him, right? He could run out across Ledoux Road and get hit, right? So yeah. it is best for the horse to be within the boundaries of that fence because the boundaries protect him. They allow him to, to do whatever he wants to do and, you know, eat hay all day long, right? Like, yeah. that is what is good for the horse. And I think the tendency in our culture is to say, my life would be so much better if I wasn't bogged down by these commitments yeah. um, or the expectations and the rules of this school or of that school. But I think ultimately what that does is when we remove that structure that we're created for, we get anxious, we get overwhelmed, we don't know where to look, um, and, and it makes um, relationships so much harder because well, why should I be committed or anything like that? Um, I'm much more happy when I'm free. But that's not what we're created for, ultimately. Right. So if I'm sitting here and I'm listening, I'm an, I'm an unbeliever or somebody who really does believe in more of the freedom scope that, that we're talking about from, from the morality and or um, the psychological standpoint, what would you say, like, how much freedom is too much freedom versus being put within that that fence? Because it sounds like you still want boundaries. Now, I have a response to that, but I'd love for you to you to start first. And I have a response as an educator and as somebody yeah. who's been around high schoolers, those wonderful people who don't smelly like beings and who do not like boundaries and want to re- rebel against those. But um, just just what's what's your first thought there? I can see you're really thinking about it. Yeah, too. I mean, I think. In my own life, wrestling with that question with people in my in my family and in my life who have very different opinions than me and a different set of morality than me, ultimately what I what I come back to is that we are not created as creators, right? We're created as people who need structure and who need boundaries. Um, that is. I mean, in some ways, the things that has made humanity successful. Um, you know, when we think of a Lord of the Flies situation, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. that didn't work because at its core, the human heart is is not perfect. And we're always going to tend towards selfishness. We're always going to tend towards wanting what we want, even when it does harm somebody. You so, know? My first school was a small high school in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and that, that was where I was a dean of students. And Hugh Harris and Lisa Harris uh, were great. They, they had really founded the school, and it's, it's there today. They have a beautiful building um, in, in the west area of Franklin. And the reason why I bring them up is because Lisa was a flower power kid of the 60s and, and early 70s, full hippie. She has the good, the really good stories that you kind of want to hear as a high schooler, and she so she could really pour into these kids and really great worldview. She travels all over the world now, uh, primarily to northern Iraq and parts of Syria to, wow. to do mission work there, um, while working and, and helping Hugh run Franklin Christian Academy. But I remember so specifically, Lisa said, "Taylor, anytime you're disciplining a child, and we're talking about 18 and 19 year old children at this mm-hmm. point," mm-hmm. she said what they're really desiring is boundaries. Mm -hmm. And we were in a very artistic community and a lot of parents in the music business, that sort of thing, and a lot of them traveled a lot. And it was these kids who had too many freedoms 
that often found themselves rebelling even greater and finding themselves in areas screaming for more boundaries. Now, that being said, from a scientific standpoint, at least this is this is my view on this, you think about the term raised by wolves, right? Mm-hmm. This is not a Romulus and Remus thing yeah. uh, in, in ancient Rome of some fairy tale. The only true story that we have, at least in, in modernity, of a child being <laughs> raised by wolves or being raised on their own was, was a child in France. It was a modern era um, thing as far as uh, within the 20th century. Mm-hmm. They found this child. The child couldn't speak. The child barely knew what to eat. They didn't know how the child had survived, but essentially um, did not live, uh, I think, even to the age of 20. Yeah. Why? Because humans are the only living beings on the face of the earth that have to be cared for from infancy. That's it. Yep. We need that attachment. We need that attachment. We need the psychological and the physical attachment in order to live more than any other creature on this planet. And I find that incredibly interesting from, from just a logical side. But from a faith side, that's because we're created in the image of God. And he also wants us to be attached to him. And he displays that through the parental and child relationship that we have. And so freedom is a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the point that, that um, Dr. Keller made was when, yes, when you get married, when you have kids, when you make a choice to study a certain subject or when you make a choice to work on your soccer skills, you're giving up another set of freedoms, right? If you're going to choose to be a professional soccer player, you're giving up the freedom. Thank you for opportunity cost, Dave Ramsey. Right? You're giving up a lot of other things, but you're doing that for, for the greater reward and freedom of being a soccer player. And so, yes, do we give up freedoms by living within the, the um, created reality that God has given us, yeah, we do. Like, we do give up some freedoms that our culture says we shouldn't give up or that um, go against our, our, you know, what our nature says. But we know that those freedoms that we give up are worth it because of who created us and how he created us. So you can't talk about freedom without morality, um, ultimately, mm. because it's always asking, well, whose definition is it? Yeah. Is it my definition of morality? Is it yours? And that's an ever-changing, you know, target. And it is, and it's it's interesting you say that, um, because, you know, I have a lot of conversations with our police officers that come through here. Um, a couple of the officers, I have more relationship with others, just out of um, kind of a natural outflow, but... You know, hearing some of the stories that they have yeah. and one's interpretation of freedom is, is quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so I would say ask a police officer sometime, not not to be political or apolitical, but honestly looking through the lens of morality of what's healthy and, and what some of their passions are. Because their passions have been interesting to learn mm-hmm. and seeing what they're what they've experienced when they deal with the best and worst of society. Now let's flip the let's flip this a little bit. Now let's talk about happiness. Yeah. You would think freedom begats happiness, right? Well, you would think, but then when you see the the record rates of loneliness, depression, and anxiety, um, it would communicate to you that the things in our culture are not working, like these narratives that we have are falling short. 
So let's let's go with the happiness narrative. Yeah. So so the freedom narrative again, just to remind everyone, is I can live however I would like to live as long as I do not harm anyone else, mm-hmm. right? And what we know is any of our actions actually do affect others. We do not live in bubbles, and no. and pray, praise the Lord yeah. uh, for that. Now, that being said. The happiness narrative is this. In the end, you have to do what makes you feel happy. Mm. Now, that is a big Disney. <laughs> yeah. And look, I love Disney. I love yeah. Disney Plus. It's fan, yep. fantastic. Okay. But that's not true. That's not gospel. That is not a biblical worldview. Um, what we do know is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the fear of the Lord, going back to the freedom aspect, is. Be finding that the Lord's law is perfect. We see rejoicing in Scripture, knowing that the law is there for love. But when we go to happiness, this is a different. This is a different ball game because we can kind of manipulate ourselves into thinking we're happy. And as Solomon wrote, "I chased the wind, and I chased in vain." Mm-hmm. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think the thing that that. I always come back to when we talk about this narrative in our culture is that as because we are the way that we are we want things to be black and white we want things to be this or that um, and so we want our emotions to be that way we want our experience to be that way um, and the problem is is that it's not the world that we live in so when so when we think about happiness and the desire to be happy um, we can't avoid suffering within this world. We just can't. Like, it is a broken, messed up world. And if we continue to chase the fleeting um, feeling of happiness, we're going to continue to run into the reality that uh, it is a, we are a mixed bag of emotions, we are a mixed bag of experiences, and we're going to have a mixed bag of, of that all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it gives us no ability to manage suffering um, if, if we're just focused on I'm going to do what makes me happy, whatever it be right now in the moment. Now, one of the things that, that Michael Keller brings out, and I think he, he is right on this, is material is the highest good. Yeah. Material yeah. things, possessions, yeah. what the, the tactile, the things yeah. we can touch and, and feel. I'd say somewhat to the software realm as well. Things that make our lives better. Now, I am the biggest sucker when it comes to this. I oh, am. yeah, me too. Um, I'm right there when with I'm, you. When I'm on Instagram and I see that there are a pair of sweatpants that are the most mm-hmm. comfortable sweatpants mm-hmm. ever created, I'm like, I want to live in those things, yes. right? Yes. And I want to take that risk. Now, do I? No. But I'm, I'm sucked in. I want to explore. I want to, I want to find out. Um, there's a lot of that perpetuation, and then we see it. We see it with the false narratives that we we ourselves we ourselves yeah. project on social media. We also see it in the false narratives that is just advertising. I mean, that's yeah, just, that's the point. And, and I think what maybe the most beautiful societal picture of this that we've seen is Don Draper, right? Yes. And Mad Men, and you think about the opening scene of Mad Men. You're so confused when you first watch the first episode. You're like, yeah. I thought this was going to be kind of like a maybe a dark yeah. drama about the '60s, not the pit of despair that is advertising because it, it we're we're chasing something to go back to Solomon we are we're chasing something in vanity yeah and that one 
really sticks to me because I I will say this, even in grief and having gone through the loss of my dad, the months after, I definitely went after the, the retail therapy and I chased some things that I really wanted. Mm -hmm. um, some because my dad, it was honoring to my dad. Some of the things I wanted just because I wanted to use an excuse for it, um, which my wife, you know, begrudgingly allowed. But what I realized is even if I had everything on my wish list, everything, everything that, I, that I wanted in the moment, it didn't fill any voids. Yeah, well, right? and it's just, it takes more and more and more to fill that void. You know, it's not one pair of sweatpants. It's like, oh, maybe if I, you know, I need more after I get it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when we try and use and believe that happiness and doing whatever we can to get there, um, it's a it's a fleeting feeling, and so we may make decisions that aren't best for us in the goal of and pursuit of that happiness. But that happiness is going to change. Right. You know, that's not something that is that is trustworthy um, all the time um, because suffering will come. Now, Jim Carrey, who we know from the great works of The Truman Show and Dumb and Dumber, um, as well as, you know, The Mask and everything else. So, yes, the comedian and, and, and actor Jim Carrey, he has this very famous quote that says, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of. So they will know that is not the answer. Tom Brady. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about him. Yeah, yeah right. He has, um, you know, the, the moments of happiness as, as well. And, and Tom Brady said in, in that 60 Minutes interview, um, on, on happiness, and I'm trying to have this thing load. Basically, he's he's agreeing with Jim Carrey, saying, "Look, I you know I've married a supermodel, I've got five rings, um, I've got a ton of success, and you know it's he." Fleeting. So with this narrative that you have to do what makes you happy, um, in both physical, you know, the physical and material world, um, but also, I think about you know relationships that. Um, when that interacts with relationships, because relationships are not always sunshine, roses, daisies. Yeah. Um, they're re it's really tough. Um, and I think our culture tells us, well, if you're not happy, then just leave or just, you know, end or go find something else to do. Um, and that just isn't, that's not how God created us um, and, and not the way that he intended relationships to be. Right, you think about the commitment that he has made to us, the covenants he has made with us. Those were not based on a feeling of being happy. Right. I mean, look at the Israelites, right? Like, if if that was the biblical narrative, to be happy, God would have gotten rid of us a long time ago. Right. And, you know, my, my wife is the wittiest person um, I, I know. Uh, many people enjoy her wit despite the fact that she acts like she has none and I, I love the humility there but she she would always tell her students when she taught I love you but I do not like you right mm -hmm. now right and you think about that and you think about love and like mm -hmm. and we think in order to love something we have to like them and yeah. I think a lot of that is is the same thing with happiness mm -hmm. right if we're not happy then we're going to disagree with it or in, in our culture's case right now is cancel it yeah now that that's another topic for another day but this cancel culture aspect of 
not happy with it, let's get rid of it. Yep. And I get it. Like, I'm I, with you. I mean, we did that the other day. Totally. Right? Yeah. If, if I go to Ikea and I buy a piece of furniture um, and I'm unhappy with it, I'm probably not going to give it away as much as I would just try to take a hammer to it and then put it in my garbage <laughs> yeah. bins. Right? There, we, we live in a very different society and a different worldview, but that's one thing to do that with a piece of furniture, heck, technology or computer, yeah. right? Or to go off a space, a fax machine. It's a different world to do to say I'm not happy with something and get rid of it versus a person or a worldview or and, and honestly, in the case of Christ, a soul. And and mm-hmm. I know that that's, mm-hmm. I'm going from the trivial to to the most sacred, but I do that for a reason because I think if we are honestly just having our happiness be be the judge of something, then again we are going to be wandering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. far One and thing wide. To the next. To find out what what happiness really really feels like, yes. because it becomes a feeling, and and you know I've joked with you about emotions before. The main part of emotion is the word motion. They move. Yes, they change. They do. They move. They change. They're like clouds, waves, whatever. Some of them. And big. happiness is right there. It's right there with it. And it's surfing. Yeah. Definitely. And when and that's the thing is that in both freedom and in this, um, we assume that love is just an emotion. And it's not. Like, that's not what the Bible says that it is. That's not how the Bible demonstrates love, that it is a fleeting emotion. Um, It is an emotion, but it is so much more than an emotion, right? Love, commitment means sacrifice. It means, you know, passing through the the difficult times. Um, You know, we think about all the suffering that Christ endured. He didn't do that because he, he wanted to be happy. Like, that wasn't that wasn't the point right he did it because he loved us right um and our culture often associates love and happiness in the same breath so let's let's now pause we've talked about freedom we've talked about happiness they, they seem very similar where do we go and and i think that the two things that he he really says and, and keller and we would agree with this um, number one, inoculate your students. Show them that the narrative exists. So show your child mm-hmm. that, that these narratives exist and show them that they are hollow and show them how they fall apart. So, so show these narratives and show the fragility of, of these things. The second, then, is to affirm, critique, and redirect. So we affirm the good, right? We want to be free. We want to be happy, and that, I think that's an okay pursuit. But to critique it, we cannot be happy all the time, nor will we create it to do that. That is a false narrative, and if your if your goal in life is to be happy all the time, then you are ignoring a major part of life, mm-hmm. or you will be disappointed throughout life. Um, but it is to then critique it and redirect, and as we would say, find the good, find the bad, and see what Scripture says about it. Right? Even see what's confusing. Um, so, Maria, what would your challenge be to parents who are saying, "Okay, you've talked about freedom, you talked about happiness. These are deep topics. What do I do that with my kid? How how does this affect my parenting?" Well, I think. These are probably two of the more practical things that impact our parenting, right? Because we're always putting boundaries on our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, you know, we talk about here at school, but I try and talk about with my own children, um, is that mm, we redirect for their good, right? Boundaries are, are for our good. Our culture has this idea is that rules impose on me and dampen who I am. And our biblical narrative would say no those boundaries actually allow you to be the person that God created you to be and so I try and sprinkle that in even when I'm disciplining Millie 
you know, or when I'm talking to a kid here at school. We have rules and expectations because we know that that's going to lead to our flourishing. Um, and that's a hard concept to understand. And to be honest with you, I didn't fully grasp. I still don't fully grasp it, but I wasn't even near it until I went to seminary um, and, and was kind of immersed in this idea that God's boundaries are for our good um, right. because of who he created us to be. Um, and, you know, I think you look back at Genesis and it's pretty clear who he created us to be and how he created us. Um, so I think returning to scripture, specifically going to that passage with your kids and saying, like, from the beginning, this is what God has has deemed for you and what God has made for you. Um, so I think I think too sprinkling that in when we can and acknowledging that, like, even as adults, we live within boundaries. We have a speed limit for a reason. Right. Um, I don't always like it. But I know that if I go 80 miles an hour down the interstate, that puts me at risk. It puts a lot of people at risk. Um, so I think I think trying to find some natural ways to sprinkle that in. Um, and then I love the example that he gave. Um, I can't remember if it was in this topic or not, but you know he he talked about the stories when um, you know his daughters are watching watching TV and he'll come in and just gently remind them, hey, that advertiser. And they're like, yes, Daddy, we know. They're mm-hmm. trying to sell us something that um, won't make us totally happy. Um, but also just taking those opportunities. Obviously, with the Christmas season coming up, I mean, that's a, a prime way. Yeah, my kids are already being inundated. Oh, I know. We got a magazine from a catalog from Target the other day. I didn't even know they had those things still. Yeah. And Millie was on it. And, man, she did. Oh, she saw a dinosaur, did not want to let it go. Um, and yeah, so they are inundated with this idea. I mean, she's three. She's three years old and got a Target catalog sent to her to tell her this is what you need. So, and again, those things are good. They're not all bad. Um, but I think we just, we can't just passively let those things go. We need to interact with our kids um, about those things. Well, We'll pause there for today. The, the next two topics we'll talk about uh, in our next episode will be power and history, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to unpack that. By the way, uh, thank you for all those that have listened. Uh, this past week we hit 5,000 downloads, and um, you know, for doing something that we thought was mainly just to kind of make a parent meeting a little bit easier, uh, we really appreciate that. We appreciate your ability and willingness to just stick with us and, and keep listening. And if there are topics, as, as we always say, that you want us to address, we're happy to do that. But that being said, we'll talk to you next time. We hope you guys stay safe and we will continue to unpack these things.